Nothing compares to the promise we have in Jesus. Is that true? Yes. Say it like you mean it. Is that true? Yes. All right. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 73 today. So who can you stand with me? And let's read from God's word. Psalm 73, verses 13 through 28. So I'll start us off in verse 13, and then y'all continue all the way through the end. Y'all ready? All right. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. tag this text, dealing with a wounded heart. Dealing with a wounded heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are in this place. That you love your people. You love being with your people. And you love speaking to your people. And we thank you that you have preserved your word through much opposition, much skepticism, much hate. To bring it to us in this moment. So I pray, Lord God, that you would use this time to change your people, to change me, for the glory of your great Son, and for the good of your children. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So, um, my wife and I, we, we're very busy. We have two little kids, and, um, you know, I work a lot, but when we, when we chill, one of the things we like to do is watch TV. I mean, that's just what people do, right? We hang out on the couch and watch TV. Not a lot, but occasionally. And one of, the, one of our favorite genres of TV shows, seems like everything you watch is a crime show, right? Y'all know these shows, right? Law and Order, Blue Bloods, Major Crimes, right? Criminal Minds, all them shows. And they're all the same, really, right? It, it's always somebody does something, yeah. right? And then you see the scene, and it's like bodies, and, you know, it's, and then it's like, who did it, right? Um, same, and actually, it started all with Sherlock Holmes, same, same general structure. Somebody does something, there's a crime, you have some clues, somebody investigates, they find maybe four or five people who might be the, the culprit, they narrow it down, and then the bad guy or bad girl goes to jail, 
right? That's it, over and over and over again, right? But we like these shows. But all, we always expect that by the end of the show, somebody's going to be in jail, right? They're going to find the person who did it, and they're going to go to jail, because that's, what, that's how crime shows work. Well, we were watching this show, um, and it happened to be Major Crimes, on, which is a good show, on Monday. And it ended, and everything went to plan, right? Something happened, they found the person, they picked the right person, and then that person didn't go to jail. And we were like, okay, that's weird, that's different. Why is that? And, and, and what's interesting about it, too, is that even as we were watching it at the end of the show, we didn't have a problem with that. We were like, okay, yeah, she should go free. Right? That's weird, right? Killed somebody. And the reason why we had that reaction, I think even the, the reason why the writers of that particular episode set it up that way is because of what the person who got killed had done to this woman. Right? He was a serial rapist. And he had raped her, and he had raped a bunch of other people. Um, and he actually raped her right as she was getting married. And um, she got pregnant from the rape. And so fast forward 10 years, and this man shows up on her doorstep. And I won't tell you why, but he, he shows up on her doorstep. And he sees, um, she had a little boy from the rape, and he, and he, she, she see, he sees a little boy um, behind his mom, and he recognizes himself in the boy, and he realizes that he's the father. And he tries to take custody of the child. And so this woman is fearing for her own safety, right? Fearing for the safety of her son, and so she drugs him and kills him, right? And so that, that's, the, that's the setup for the scene. And at the end of the episode, she gets off on a technicality because they couldn't find the gun. They couldn't find the murder weapon, so she gets off, right? And she shouldn't have killed him, but it was like, well... <laughs> I mean, he deserved it, though, right? I mean, this, he, this was a bad dude, right? Um, and and the, the, again, the reason you laugh, it's like, yeah, well, I can kind of see that, right? He did some awful things. He had it coming to him, in a sense. And we don't often think about it, but the, you have an innate sense of justice, right? You have an innate sense of if something wrong is done, that wrong should be righted. It should be corrected, right? And so when we see that show, there's that sense of, yes, he, he, she shouldn't have killed him, but he deserved it. Right? And what's interesting about this is that the reason why you have that is because God has that, and God has made you in his image. Amen. God is a just God. Amen. God has the sense of right and wrong. And when God sees things that are wrong, God desires that to be corrected, to be set right. And so when God said, let us make man in our image, he was saying, let us make man just, because we are just. God, the Godhead is just. And it, what's, what's striking to me is that even little kids have this. I have, uh, I have two kids, one's four and one's a year and a half. You may have seen them running around. And, they're, and they sleep in the same bedroom. And the other, other day, Clara, who's the younger one, who's like this tall, literally, um, she's the younger one, she, she was yelling and screaming. We were in our room, it was like 6 a.m. in the morning. We walk into her room and we're like, Clara, what's going on? What's, why are you upset? And she does this. And she points at her sister. And what she was saying was, Hannah, Hannah hit me. Hannah's the older one. She can't talk. Clara does not talk. But she's like, fix this. <laughs> she hit me. Right? And she's a year and a half. But she has a sense of, 
She wronged me, and you should fix it. Get her, right? That sense of justice. Nobody taught her that. It's just a sense of, I was wronged, and somebody needs to take care of it, right? The innate sense of justice given to us by God, right? He, he has imputed to us a sense of justice, and we all have it, all of us. I'm not alone in this, and neither is Clara, right? We all have that sense of, if someone wrongs me, or someone wrongs somebody I care about, or someone wrongs my people, I want it corrected, Amen. right? And we feel that not just on a sort of an intellectual level, but on an emotional level, Amen right? Clara was upset, right? And we get upset when, th when people are wrong, when we are wrong. We feel it. Yeah. And that's what this psalm is about. And this psalm in Psalm 73 is about justice. It's about a sense of injustice. It's written by Asaph. And just to give you a couple notes on, on Asaph, some background for him, he wrote a number of psalms. Um, he was essentially the worship leader for Israel, right? He was appointed by King David as the chief musician for Israel. So he, he wrote a number of songs, and he, he was a very faithful man, a very successful man, because at that point, to be in that position would have been a very powerful position. Right? He was well-known. And we don't know at what stage of his life he would have written Psalm 73, but we know that he's reflecting on it. He's reflecting on something that's happened to him. And we kind of walk through that. But know that he is a a faithful man, a man of position, a man of success, a man of power, um, and he's also a man of faith. So verse 1 of Psalm 73, I'll give you some background since we didn't um, read those verses. Um, verse 1, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And what he's doing is he's proclaiming his faith that God is good, that God has been faithful to his people. Right? He, he's declaring that I am a man of God. I believe in God. That's how he starts. But he's, also, he's not just a man of faith, he's a man of reflection. He, he's examining his own heart because he continues in verse 2, and he says, but as for me, contrasting with God good, God's goodness, he says, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's saying, I was... Though I was someone who believed in God, though I had seen his faithfulness, I was stumbling. And I was stumbling because I saw the wicked. And I didn't just see them, I saw them prospering. And it caused me to stumble. He goes on, he says, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. He's like, Lord, I know that one day they're going to get theirs when they die, but... Why are they so happy now? Why do they prosper? He says, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. He's saying, Lord, I trust you. I'm a, I'm a man of faith, but when I look around me, when I see the oppression around me, I, I'm stumbling, Lord. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? He said, therefore, pride is their necklace. They get away with it. And so they're proud. He says, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. And no one stops them. And not only do they oppress on the earth and with people, but they turn even against God. He says, they set their mouths against the heavens. 
They oppose even you, Lord. And their tongue struts through the earth. No one opposes them. They do wrong and get away with it. And it's struggling. He's struggling with this reality. A man of faith. A man who believes that God is good to Israel. But he looks around and maybe we don't know if it's something that happened to him. We don't know if he's looking at societal issues. We don't know, but we can, we can feel the emotion. We can feel his pain. That what he is seeing is causing him to struggle. Because my feet had almost slipped. I'm struggling, Lord. Where are you, Lord? Why the oppression? Why the violence? Where are you, Lord? And it gets so bad, he says, I look around and I see God's people in verse 10. He says, he said, his people, talking about God's people, turn back to them and find no fault in them. What he's pointing to is the sense of it has become so overwhelming to see the injustice that some say, I can't beat them, so I might as well join them. Why am I walking with the Lord? What, what's the point when I see the injustice? I've been faithful to you, Lord, but where are you? Verse 11, the wicked say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Is there really a God? In verse 12, Asaph sums it up. He says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Despite their violence, despite their oppression, they are always at ease. They increase in riches. And it causes him to stumble. And you can feel his emotion, feel his pain. And he says in verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. What's the point, Lord? I've been faithful to you, but why? When I struggle, when I see oppression, when I feel violence, when my, when my heart hurts, my heart is wounded, injustice has been done, and there is no justice. All in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? He points to his motive. He's saying, Lord, my heart has been clean towards you. And my, my hands have been innocent. I haven't done wrong and I haven't thought wrong. But I feel like it's in vain. Is it making a difference? Where are you, Lord? Verse 14, he said, For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Do you feel the pain? You feel the struggle, that sense of, I am being wrong, my people are being wronged, and Lord, where are you? I've been faithful to you. I believe that you're good to Israel, but I'm struggling, Lord. And we take some things from this, some lessons from this, and one of the first things that we can realize here is, is that being faithful to God, walking truly with the Lord, because again, he, would have, he was the chief musician of Israel. He was a man of faith. He would have grown up in a Christian home. That doesn't protect you from oppression. It doesn't guarantee an easy road. It doesn't mean things won't go wrong and you won't be wronged. That's a reality. And in some ways, having faith and knowing God can even make it worse. 
because there is actually a God, a God who is just, a God who is powerful, but yet this just, powerful God, where are you, Lord? Where are you? That's what he's saying. Why? Why? Is it in vain that I have faith in you? But then he begins to transition. In verse 15 and through the rest of the passage, he, the Lord walks him through dealing with his wounded heart. And I don't know about you, but I have a wounded heart. And if you haven't been wounded, then you will be. Because in this life, you will experience times of being wounded. That is the reality of being in a fallen world. And, but the Lord walks him through it. And, and I want to pull from these passages five lessons for dealing with a wounded heart. I believe the Lord has preserved this psalm, preserved Asaph's story to instruct us and to comfort us when our hearts are wounded. So verse 15, he said, If I had said I will speak thus, if, if, if I had said I will join in, I'll walk away from you. He said, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And what he's saying, it's very interesting that he starts, he said, what he's saying is that loyalty to your community is keeping me, Lord. He's saying that I am tempted to join in. I'm tempted to walk away from you because it seems like it's all in vain. But when I look around and I see your people, I'm loyal to them. And I don't want to betray them. And so the first lesson the Lord teaches Asaph loyalty to a godly community is an encouragement to persevere. And we see this even in Hebrews, right? The, the writer of Hebrews, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us press on, right? Let us lay aside every weight because of who has gone before us and who is in the fight with us. And what that points to is that you need your brothers and your sisters when you're going through it. You need a godly community that is loyal to you and that you can be loyal to. Because that is an encouragement to persevere. One of my, I'm, I'm a big history buff, and one of the, my favorite times of history to study is World War II. I love studying about World War II and, and just like wars in general. I just find it interesting. And what's interesting about battles um, even when you have massive armies against each other, what's interesting about battles is that there's always a part of that area that is where the battle isn't, right? That when you're on the front lines, there are people behind, there's, there's area behind you, area to the right of you, to the left of you, where it's safe, right? You, when, you're, when you're in a firefight, you can just leave. You have that option, right? What keeps people, even when others are dying next to them, what keeps them there? Loyalty. They feel a sense of loyalty to the, the guy next to me, right? And that person feels a sense of loyalty to me. They have my back and I have theirs. That's what keeps them. They don't want to betray their friends, even though they can run over here and be safe. And the same it is with us, right? That you have to have a community that you are loyal to. And that who has your back and whose back do you have? Because that's what keeps Asaph. He said, he said Lord, if I, if I had just stepped out, if I had walked away from you, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And so that sense of loyalty to a community, a community that knows him and keeps him accountable, keeps him persevering, even with his wounded heart. And so that is the, the first lesson that the Lord teaches Asaph, that, that loyalty 
to a godly community is an encouragement to persevere. That's not enough, because the pain is still there. The injustice is still there. Verse 16, he says, I'm, I'm loyal to you, Lord. I'm loyal to your people. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I'm still struggling, Lord. I'm wearied, Lord. I don't know how to understand this. I can't make sense of it. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. The second lesson is about intimacy. Drawing near to God begins to shift his perspective. When your heart is wounded, even when you're, you're persevering because of the loyalty, you, you need to go to the Lord. You got to draw near to him. Draw near to him to see things from his perspective. Because as, as Asaph spends time with the Lord, as he, he draws near to him, he says, Truly you set them in slippery places. You, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He, he's saying, Lord, I, when I was out here, when I was looking around, I, I couldn't make sense of it, Lord. But when I drew near to you, I started to see things from your perspective. Romans 12.1 talks about renewing our minds, seeing things from a godly perspective. Because when, when, you, when you're not looking at a godly perspective, it's going to challenge you. You're going to stumble. When you draw near to God, he, he starts to change the way you think. And so the second lesson is about that intimacy with God, drawing near to him, pouring out our heart before him because he's a refuge for us, as Psalm 62 says. That begins to, to heal, to help us deal with our wounded hearts. And God assures him of his justice. He assures him that, that he is just and he will repay. As he says in Jeremiah, to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, 10, when Jeremiah is questioning him, asking the same question, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I am just, God says. I will take care of it, but I will do it in my way. And what's powerful about this is that even the sense of injustice that you feel is a pointer to God's justice. That you feel that sense of woundedness because God does. Amen. God has made you to feel that sense of injustice. So even the, the feeling of, Lord, that's wrong, is an indicator that God cares deeply and has taken note. Amen. Amen. That is the way he is. He's a just God. But you will lose sight of who God is if you don't spend time with him. Amen. Amen. You, the, the things of this world, the oppression, the violence, the difficulty, will cause you to stumble. Yeah, yeah. But you must draw near to God. And so the first lesson that the Lord teaches Asaph is loyalty. That you need people around you that you can be with and who can strengthen you in those times of struggle when you're stumbling. And the second lesson is that you need intimacy with me. You've got to draw near to me so that I can shape the way you think and, and show you the reality of what I'm up to. That I am a just God. That I have not forgotten. That I do take note and I will repay. And he continues, having encountered God in verse 21, he said, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. What is he doing? He's repenting. He's saying, Lord, I, I was so upset, I, I was so struggling with what they did that I was angry at you. Yes. 
I was bitter towards you. I, I couldn't forgive, Lord. And so it began to warp me, warp the way I felt and towards you and towards others. I was brutish. I was ignorant. Forgive me, Lord. Do you admit and confess where your heart goes when people wrong you? Or do you look only at what they have done and not see your own heart? And I'm not saying it's wrong or sin to feel a sense of injustice, because again, God has that same feeling. But where, where does your heart go? Does it turn towards hate? Do you hold on to your anger until it festers? Hebrews warned us about the root of bitterness sprouting up, defiling many. And so Asaph repents of this. He says, Lord, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Forgive me, God. And so God brings him to a place of repentance. So, so he's, he's, that first lesson of loyalty, the second one of, of intimacy with God, of drawing nearer to him, and as he does that, God shifts his perspective, shows him that, that yes, I will repay I have set them in slippery places. I will rouse myself. I'll take care of it. Then he calls him into repentance. God begins to deal with Asaph's own heart. And he encourages us to do the same. When you are wronged, you don't get off free. You've got to repent of your own sins. And he continues, lesson four, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. He, God teaches him about faith. Faith that God is with you in the midst of the struggle. That even when you cannot see it, even when you do not feel it, he is there. He is with you. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Christ, when he was talking to his disciples, he says, I am with you even to the end of the age. And they went through some stuff. All his disciples were persecuted, killed. But he said, I am with you. But do you have faith that he's with you? Or does the, the circumstance rock your faith? What evidence do you need or do you even demand from God to prove that he's with you? Or do you take him at his word? even when there is injustice, even when there is, there is no payment for what has been done against you. He says, nevertheless, he said, even regardless of what has happened, Lord, nevertheless, I am continually with you. I'm going to stick with you, Lord. And he says, you, you hold my right hand. You, you get this image of a little child holding your father's hand. He says, you're, you're carrying me along. Through the pain, through the sense of injustice, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Lord, you, you are shaping the way I see things. He said, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Even if I never see justice, I know that there is a day coming when you will receive me. I know there's a day coming when you will comfort me, when you will wipe away the tears from my eyes. But in this life, you are always with me. And so he, he expresses a heart of faith that though nothing has changed, God is with him. Though his pain is still there, God is with him. Though the wicked still prosper, 
God is with him. Do you believe that? And so God begins to, to heal his heart, to deal with his wounded heart. Again, through, through that loyalty, that sense of, I'm with your people. That sense of intimacy. That sense of repentance, of, of turning from my own sin. And not letting the sin of others blind me to who I am. And then through calling him into faith. To believing that God is with him. Even when situations don't look like it. And he goes on to, to express a heart of deep love towards the Lord. The fifth lesson, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He's saying, Lord, purify my desires. Help me to love you. I'm going to struggle in this life, but I have you, Lord. Situations change, but you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I have you, I'm good, Lord. And so he, he cultivates a heart of deep affection, of deep love for his God. And again, the injustice is still there. But I have Jesus. And I'm going to walk with him. And he's going to walk with me. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. Physically I may waste away, Lord. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the strength of my wounded heart. My flesh and my heart may fail. They may kill me, Lord. But you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Love of God heals our wounded hearts. Heals our wounded hearts. He is our, our great treasure. And the, the power of all of this is that all Asaph is doing is pointing to another. He's pointing to Christ. He's, he's pointing to a one who would, who would suffer deeply, whose heart would be wounded more than any of us could ever be wounded. Think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider what happened to Jesus. That he came into a world to love people, to care for people. That he called his disciples and, and he, he, spent, he poured his life into them. And they abandoned him. His closest friends. In fact, Judas was one of the closest to him. You don't just entrust anybody with the money. Right? Judas was close. He was part of the inner circle. And, and that one turned against him. Brought soldiers to arrest him. And when he was arrested, what happened? Did he get justice? No. No. Those who were in power abused him. They lied against him, trumped up charges. He was tortured, his body broken, spit in his face, and hung on a cross. And what did he do? Who was more loyal than Jesus? Who showed more loyalty to those who were persecuting him than Jesus? Who showed more loyalty to, the gods, to God's children than Jesus? Despite his wounded heart, Despite his suffering, he was loyal. And so he calls us to be loyal. Who's like him? Asaph is pointing to one who would suffer, whose heart would be wounded. He's pointing to Jesus. 
and who showed more intimacy with God despite his pain. Consider Jesus in the garden. Father, I don't want to go through this. Father, I'm going to be alone. When he was praying, he went back to his friends and said, couldn't you even watch with me just a little bit? You can feel that sense of abandonment. But yet he drew near to God and said, Lord, if there's another way, please, but not my will. Not my will. Who was more intimate with the Father than Jesus? And Jesus kept his heart pure. He had no bitterness. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He had faith in his Father. Even on that cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Asaph is pointing to another one. The greater, the suffering servant, Jesus. And who had greater love for God than Jesus? Faithful is he. True is he. He is the ultimate healing for our wounded hearts. And so when you're going through, look to him. When you're going through, remember his loyalty. Remember what he did when he suffered, when he was reviled. Look to him and view him as your lesson. Let him comfort you in your time of struggle. But know this, that he is just. Revelations verse 12 and 15 records a scene, a future scene, when, when, when the, the justice of God is announced. A trumpet is blown and a voice proclaims, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And they worship God, and they say this, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. That time has come. God is just. He has appointed a time to deal with sin. And so when our hearts struggle, remember that. But there's something else you got to remember. That even though you will experience that wounded heart, even though you will be wronged, and you will feel a sense of injustice, you too are a perpetrator of injustice. You too wrong others. And God takes note. And God will repay. Because he is just. And so when we look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and deals with sin, be afraid if you don't know him. Because that cross, that cross points to what sin deserves. Jesus' death on that cross, his bloody, broken body, the blood draining from him, the suffering points to what sin deserves. It is a picture of justice. He took our sins, our injustices, and he took the, pun the penalty of our sins. And so though we look forward to his justice, look to the cross to deal with your sins, your injustices. Look to the cross. Or you can deal with it yourself. But God is just. And he will repay.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your justice. You take note and you will repay. But we thank you, Lord, that though you're not a God that just overlooks sin, you dealt with ours. You, you say that I am a just God and, and you will owe me a penalty, but I have made a way. My son has paid the price. You took him who knew no sin and he became sin for us. And so, Lord, help us to believe in him. Help us to turn in him. If, if there are those under my voice who don't know him, would, would they turn, Lord? Would you rescue them from the penalty of their sins through faith in Christ? Thank you for the cross. The cross shows us that you are a just God. The cross shows us that you are a loving God. Drive us to the cross. For those of us who do know you, when our hearts are wounded, when we, we wander and we stumble as Asaph did, help us to look to Jesus as our example. Help us to be comforted by the way in which he lived. Heal our hearts, Lord, through your Son. Amen.